Romans is a book of contrast. It contrasts Jew and Gentile. It contrasts the Old Testament with the New Testament. It contrasts walking in the flesh versus walking in the Spirit. And when you get to Romans chapter 12, he says in verse 2, And be not conformed, or do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. The word transformed is from the Greek word metamorphe, which we get our English word metamorphosis. And uh, that describes the change that occurs when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. I thought I'd have to explain the title screen so you'd at least understand what we're talking about. When we're talking about a change. I want to begin our lesson with maybe a thought that will help us understand. When we think about our children, those of us who are parents... As our children are growing up, we worry about peer pressure. I know that many of us have had our children come home and told us something that they did which was incredibly reckless. And you'll look at your child and you'll say, if everybody else was jumping off the cliff, would you jump off the cliff? And, well, yeah, maybe. Depends on how high the cliff was. But you know, the truth is, is that you and I as adults are not immune either. Peer pressure has the potential of affecting every one of us. And you say, oh, but adults aren't affected by it. What about hairstyles? When I was in high school, long hair was in style. Everybody wanted hair, if you were a boy, to grow over your ears. And uh, today the style is to cut it all off. And if time continues on, there will be another style that will come along. How many of you remember the clothes that you wore in the 1970s, those of you who lived then? Some of you are not old enough to remember the 70s. But uh, I can remember wearing plaid-colored pants and what was called leisure suits. Today, you would not want to be seen wearing those clothes. But the truth is, we were trying to fit in with the society in which you and I were a part of. What about remodeling their houses? Why do people remodel their houses today? Is it because what's in their house is bad, or is it because they want to be up with the Joneses? They want to be able to fit in and make everyone think. Why do we trade cars all the time? Is it because our cars are worn out, or is it because... We want something that is new. We want something that is like everybody else. Now the truth is, there's a vast difference between these meaningless personal choices. Whether you choose to wear loud color clothing or dark colored clothing, that's really, even though some may not appreciate it, is not an important choice. But when it comes to choices that are of a spiritual nature, things that are much larger than the here and the now, those are the things that really matter. We're going to study Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and I want us to look at three things that we will observe. From verse 1, we're going to look at making a choice. 
The fact that you and I can choose to do what is right. We can make a good choice. Number two, I want to talk about being conformed to the pattern of this world where he says, do not be conformed. And then I want us to talk about being converted, to be changed, to be transformed into what God wants us to be. Let's begin with the idea of choice. And if you'll look with me at verse 1 again, where Paul writes, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now that passage presupposes that a person has a choice. I can choose to present myself or I can choose not to present myself. Paul is begging and pleading with them, as he does us, to present ourselves. And yet many today act as if man's behavior is outside the realm of choice. Do people really believe that I cannot choose? Well, let me explain to you just a little bit about what's going on. Homosexuals will say today, I can't help being a homosexual. It's just who I am. I was born this way. God made me this way. If they're atheists, they'll say, nature made me this way. And I don't have a choice. Or drunkards. They will say that I can't help being a drunkard because I have a disease. And because I have this disease, it controls me. Don't blame me. Blame my disease. I really don't have a choice, is what a drunkard would say. We live in a no-fault generation. It's all about genetics. It's all about our environment. It's all about traumatic events. For those of you who have watched the news this past week, you know that teachers were killed on Monday and on Tuesday. One by a gun, another by being stabbed with a box cutter. And I listened to the radio for just a moment or two this morning, and the discussion was on this. What kind of traumatic events occurred in the lives of those young men that caused them to commit murder? What made them do that? The newscaster was oblivious to the fact that they made a choice to do that. They chose of their own free will. They acted as if, if you have had something bad happen to you. They talked about the boy on Monday. And they said they had asked the students and said he had been tripped while he was walking down the hallway. And that other people had called him names. If I were to ask you to raise your hand, and I'm not, how many of you were tripped while you were a child going down the hallway? How many of you were called names? But you didn't choose to murder somebody. You see, what it is, it is a choice that a person makes. Now, when you go to the Bible, you will see that presented to you over and over again, that you've got a choice. Joshua 24 and verse 15, Joshua says, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served on the other side of the river 
or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God doesn't make you do what is right. It is a free will choice on your own. In 1 Kings 18 and verse 21, Elijah's on the top of Mount Carmel. Before him are the children of Israel. And he puts a challenge before them by saying, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And if Baal, then follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Sometimes we don't want to acknowledge that we have choices because we do what is wrong and then we want to somehow justify it by saying, I couldn't help myself. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, we learn that's simply not the case. Because Paul will write, No temptation has overtaken you except such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Every temptation, every difficult circumstance that you and I might find ourselves in has a choice. May not always be the easy one. May not always be what we want to do. But there's always a righteous choice to be made. Well, what was Paul pleading with them? He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice means it's something that is not dead. Under the Old Testament, they offered animal sacrifices. And in order for that animal to be sacrificed, it was first killed, dead. And then it was sacrificed to God. But you and I present our bodies not as a dead sacrifice, but as a living sacrifice. Peter would use some of the similar terminology in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. Living stones and such will be our reasonable logical spiritual service to God now let me move to the second part and that is being conformed to be conformed means to be fashioned in accordance with you take something and you form it to the same sort of mold or pattern But what is he saying, do not be conformed with? Peter would put it like this in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 14. He says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. There's always a contrast in the Bible with those who are Christians to look back at where you were, who you were, and don't go back. Don't go back to that part of your life where you were in rebellion with God. Don't go back to that part of life where you lived by your sinful choices. Do not be conformed to this world. What does he mean by world? Is he talking about that sphere on which you and I live and walk? The ground that is below us? Well, obviously not. 
The word the world in the Bible refers to the people of the world. Those who are fleshly minded versus those who are spiritually minded. Let me illustrate it in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and following. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the life. And it is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world's passing away, but the lust of it, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. In Ephesians 2 and verse 2, he talked about in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. But you see, the truth is, there are several synonyms that are in the Bible for this world. When Paul speaks about this age or this generation, he's talking about the people who live in the here and the now. Let me illustrate. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he says, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Or Luke 7 and verse 31, Jesus says, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation, and what are they like? Or as Peter would preach on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 and verse 40, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And you know, whenever you and I read God's Word, we ought to be thinking like this. That applied to those people in their day. But what does that mean today in the 21st century? How do I understand that? What does our world, our age, our generation look like? Because that's what I'm not to be conformed to. If I were to ask each of you, pull out one of those note cards in front of you, take you on those pencils, and make a list of characteristics of this generation, the fleshly one, the worldly one, the one that is opposed to God, what would you write down for a moment? Just think about that. What would you say? Many of you would probably say something similar to this. We live in a world of moral relativism, pluralism, non-judgmentalism, and any other term that you could describe to say, who are you to judge my behavior? And there is a belief that there is no moral objective standard. Our society has said about the Bible, we don't want it to be our standard. Even the Air Force in their oath this past week changed where you would drop the phrase, so help me God. In our public school systems, the Bible is just about the only book that you can't read publicly. 
You see, our society has decided we don't want a moral standard by which you and I will be guided and directed. And because of that, you can't judge my behavior. And because of that, we live in a society of self-gratification. There's actually a technical term for that. It's called hedonism. The gratifying of the desires of the flesh. It's stated like this. Whatever makes me happy. If going and partying all night makes me happy, then who are you to judge my happiness? If I want to be a fornicator or an adulterer or a number of other things that are described in the Bible, who are you to tell me that that's wrong? Would you agree that that's a society which we live in? But now let me tell you the the worst aspect of this. There is an expectation now that you and I should agree to that. I want you to listen as Peter describes his generation and see if that's not the same generation you and I live in. Therefore, since Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Now here's the key verse. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. You go to a college campus and you try to say, I don't drink and I don't dance and I don't fornicate. What's wrong with you? You go to your factory and you talk to your neighbors and your friends who work around you and you see if they don't tell you, why don't you do those things? What's wrong with you? as if you should somehow be in full agreement. You should be conformed to this world. We're the ones who decide how it's to be done. That's the world that you and I are not to be conformed to. So what does Paul say? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transform means to change. Literally, the idea is to be converted. Transformed from something to something by something. Be transformed from the world to become a Christian by the renewing of your mind. Now let's see how that plays out. Colossians 1 and verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed, or if you read the King James American Standard, translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Out of darkness into light. Out of the world into the church. 
There's a conversion that takes place. You go to Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. The apostles are still working in Jerusalem in the temple area trying to teach the people that there's got to be a change in your life. And so Peter would say, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What is he wanting us to do? He's wanting us to to make a change, to be converted and enjoy the forgiveness of our sins. And this is achieved by the renewing of our minds. Now, if you're like me, whenever I see a phrase that I'm something I'm supposed to do, I want to know how to do it. How is the renewing of the mind accomplished? How is it that I change my thinking You want to change someone from being worldly to being spiritual? You've got to change their thinking. And so we go to Ephesians 4, verses 20 through 24. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard Him and been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man that goes corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you may put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. When you learn Christ, you're learning by being taught, hearing Him, hearing His words, hearing Scripture, Then what you do, you change from that old man to the new man. That's how the mind is renewed. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory into glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I want you to imagine, I've got a mirror up here. But the mirror I'm looking at is not looking back at me. There's a place for that in James chapter 1. But I'm looking here as in a mirror and I see the image of Christ. That image that I'm seeing is found in the Bible. And if I keep concentrating on that, trying to be like that, and I change my mind and I want to do what Jesus does, he says here that I am transformed into the same image. That's what transformation involves. One is converted from a fleshly mind to a spiritual mind. Romans 8 and verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And this is a lifelong process. It's not as if I say, Okay, well, I've changed my mind now. It's in a present imperative form, which means... It's something that I'm always doing and it's something that I'm commanded to do. A constant renewing of my mind. Every day I get up, I need to be thinking, today, what am I going to do to serve the Lord? What kind of choices will I make? Will I reject the peer pressure that's put upon me? Will I try to make myself more? like Christ. Such, he says, proves that good and acceptable 
and perfect will of God. It's easy to let the world mold us to look and act like them. I don't want to be odd. I don't think you do either. For that reason, I generally will try to uh, dress in a fashion that is appropriate for our generation. I don't want to be odd, and for that reason, I'm not going to conduct myself like a strange, peculiar person. But when it comes to spiritual things, I've got to make my decision. I've got to make a choice. And that choice is, I am going to be a Christian regardless of what the world does. And God wants us to be transformed like His Son. I really have two major thoughts when we think about being like Jesus. God wants us to be like Him in life. Romans 8.29 says, Him whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son that we might, he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God, from the very beginning, decided, I want my people to be like my son in their lives. So as Jesus walked, he talked, he lived, that's the way God wants us to live. But God also wants us to be like him in our death. Philippians 3.21, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. He's talking about that our physical bodies here, as they die and are laid in a tomb, God wants to raise us up just like he raised Jesus up from that tomb. And in order to enjoy that raising, you and I are going to have to make the right choice. This morning, if you will, take your songbook. We're going to sing this invitation song. For those of you who want to become Christians, it's your choice. God's not going to force you. We're not going to push you. It's got to be your choice. It's got to be something you want to do. If you want to do that, you love God, you want to respond, you'll come forward, we'll let you confess your faith, we'll baptize you for the remission of your sins, and you can stand before God as a pure, whole child of His. It's very possible you're one of God's children, and in your mind you've made the choice once upon a time, but you said, I think I'm going to do some other things. God loves you, still wants you to come home. It's your choice. Would you respond while we stand and sing?